Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by James Hardy Siding, the best siding on the planet. Hello, Ron. Hey, Jim. Love listening to your show. Thank you. We've got a house that was built about nine years ago, and we have the spray foam insulation. They basically encapsulated the house. But we have a fireplace, and it never has drafted completely. We can open windows that it will operate well, yep. but with the windows closed, it, it doesn't draft probably. We've had two people give us solutions, of which uh, it didn't make sense to me. One was to buy a big exhaust fan that goes on top of the chimney and run the wiring to it and, and actually suck the air out. And the other was to come in from the... Uh, back patio behind a, a cabinet and put a pipe into the into the fireplace to draft it. What has your experience been with those things? Well, the fact that How you, you have that? the spray foam insulation and it's encapsulated the entire house, your house is sealed extremely tight. Right. And so in order for the fireplace to draft properly, it has to be able to have air coming in. That's the reason when you open the window, it's it's drafting properly. Chances are, after you get it drafting well and the fire going well, are you able to close the window at that point? No. The smoke backs back into the house and sets off the smoke detectors. Yeah. I can tell you the fan is not going to do you any good because if there's no place for the air to come in. Yeah. If there's not a place for the air to come in, it's not going to happen. Typically, on uh, what they have to do. Uh, when you have a house that's insulated this way is there's an air intake on the air conditioning system where it's bringing fresh air into the house. And what you may want to try the next time is simply turn the fan on so that it's recirculating air in the house. And at that, it should be drawing. Yep, on the air conditioning heating system. So at that point, it should be drawing fresh air into the house and should allow that thing to draft properly. And it's going to serve two purposes. It's going to take the heat that you're building into that room and disperse it through the rest of the house. Okay. Well, that's a great idea. Yeah, because we have an air conditioner at each end of the house. Yep. So the one closest to the fireplace will just uh, give that a shot. Yep. So give that well, a try, I'm, and I, th- I think you'll find that'll take care of it. I'm glad I called you. You just saved me probably seven to eight grand of something that wouldn't work. Oh, man, you want to spend seven or eight grand, give me a holler off the air, and I'll come out and do something to make. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I appreciate you. I love listening to your show. Thank you, Ron. You as well. Have a good Memorial Day weekend. Let's see. We got a radiant barrier question. What is your recommendation for putting a radiant barrier on a roof that is being replaced? Does it go under the felt? or between the felt and the shingles, what is the estimated average payback time? Two years or 20 years? Well, and this comes from Mike and Alan. And Mike, it really depends on how much electricity you're using. You know, what temperature you set your home at will depend on the payback. And the reason for that. If you leave your thermostat at 76 or 78, your payback is going to take much longer than somebody who likes to set the thermostat on 70. 
uh, and just as a rule of thumb, typically if you put a radiant barrier in the attic, uh, now the radiant barrier I recommend is Energy Q radiant barrier, which is a multi-layer system. And typically, if you put that system in your attic, on the attic floor, you're keeping the heat that gets in the attic from coming in the living space. Your normal payback on that is actually less than two years. It makes that big a difference on your energy bills. Uh, the only time I recommend putting it under shingles is if you have a cathedral ceiling or attic space. Then whenever you roof the, the house next time, yes, I would recommend putting it under the shingles and that'll uh, help reduce your energy bills. Now the payback again all depends on the temperatures you put it at. But when you do the whole house and you got it close to the living space, like I said, a lot of times less than two years if you're keeping your thermostat around 72 degrees or so. Uh, and, and again, the product I recommend is called Energy Q Radiant Barrier. It's a multi-layer system with a thermal break in the middle. Uh, you can call 1-800-900-6220. That's 800-900-6220. And uh, that's Energy Q Radiant Barrier. They'd be more than happy to talk to you about it and see what they can do to help you out. Um, and there are a lot of different types of radiant barriers. You know, I'm recommending a multi-layer system with a thermal break. You don't have to have dead air space with that. But if you go out and you start shopping around, you're going to find you can buy, hey, a single-layer radiant barrier for far less money. But if you sandwich it in between building materials, it will not work. It has to have a dead air space. So you got to make sure you get the right radiant barrier for the right application. And they make a ton of different types of radiant barriers. Everything from a spray barrier, which is not a true radiant barrier, to, like I say, the multi-layer systems, which are the ones I typically like to use. Got a question from Will about a newly remodeled shower. There was an existing bathtub vent pipe leading out to the attic that was removed during the installation of a new stand-up shower alone. Is the vent pipe needed and required? Thank you. Will? It is needed and required. Here's what a vent pipe does for you. The pipes that drain out the sanitary water are much like a straw. If you put your finger over a straw and it's down in a glass of water, you can pick it up and a straw holds the water until you re remove your finger and allow air into the top and then all the water pours out. The pipes under your home for the drain are the same because you've got P-traps that keeps you from getting sewer gas into your home. Well, that also doesn't allow air to flow through. The vent pipes that come up through the the roof are to break that suction and allow air in, which allows the water to flow like it should. So the, the simple answer is yes, it is needed. In fact, it's code in most places, so I'm not sure how they got away with taking it out unless there was another vent pipe close enough that they were able to tie into it and that way it took care of the issue uh, without having to have two vents going up. But chances are, if that was the case, 
it would have been that way from the beginning. So you definitely want to take a look at, you know, how are they venting it. Uh, in fact, I would call the contractor back. Now, I will just ask you the same, this question if I was talking to you, had you called in, are you having any issues with it? If not, hey, you may be all right. This comes from Fritz. I always enjoy your show as you seem to have direct answers to many issues. My question is whether or not an old home can be made to meet more modern standards for comfort and energy efficiency. The three-phase 10-ton AC unit gives me some concern in those regards. And so far, nobody seems to have an answer to that question. This is a large, old home built in the 30s. All the walls are about a foot thick with solid brick and plaster inside and out. I'm sure it was a first-class build when it was new. It is a pyramid beam constructed with concrete floors, even has a basement mechanical room under the kitchen. We bought it not knowing if we would fix it up or tear it down and build a few homes on the large lot, something I have never done before. I have been gathering quotes from contractors for either option. It currently doesn't have utilities connected, and the roof appears to have been leaking for some time. At 5,400 total square feet plus a commercial-sized pool and something like a parking lot, it's not cheap to rehab and surprisingly expensive to demolish. The Spanish tiles on the roof alone weigh in at over 37 tons. Wow. Fritz, you're, you're tackling a big project there. But can an old structure be upgraded? You bet. It's done all the time. Uh, problem is, it's not cheap. But for commercial buildings, it's done all the time. Uh, probably the one of the best examples is to go to New Orleans, go down in the French Quarter. Those are all old structures that have been upgraded. Now, the type of construction you just described with the one-foot-thick walls, typically that's a solid wall, and there's no insulation in it, but a lot of times there's not a huge need for insulation in it either. But if you want to truly upgrade and make it a lot more energy efficient, if you're going to put sheetrock on the walls, you can use foam insulation on those walls, and it will uh, actually seal up as far as air infiltration, which you probably don't have a lot of, but it takes care of the temperature change. You know, a a lot of times... If you actually take a look at the codes or efficiency of things and take a look at a concrete wall, you would think that it'd be very energy efficient. You know, you're not going to have air coming through. You're not going to have temperature changes and all that stuff. Well, surprisingly, it's actually very inefficient. You typically end up doing something to it to make it more energy efficient. And quite frankly, in a structure this old, you're going to end up opening the walls anyways because you're probably going to have to do water pipes. You're probably going to have to do electric lines, air conditioning, all kinds of stuff. So while you're at it, fur out the walls, put some spray foam insulation, and yeah, you could really make this thing energy efficient. 
and quite frankly, probably worth a lot more money than tearing down and building new homes. And yes, it is extremely expensive to tear down structures. You know, a lot of times uh, people don't realize how much more expensive it is to uh, remodel versus building new construction only because of the teardown cost. You've got to get rid of all the old materials and all that stuff. Uh, you've got to haul it away. You've got to find landfills for it. And some of these older structures have things like asbestos in it and things like that. Uh, as a homeowner, you can haul that stuff to the landfill. As a contractor, they cannot. So it makes a huge difference. But, you know, as far as which direction should you go, obviously I haven't seen the structure. But they don't make old structures anymore. It's not replaceable. No matter what you build, it's new. So I tend to like to keep the old structures myself. Uh, but again, I haven't seen this structure. And you'll need to put all your bids together before you make that decision. Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. This one comes from Dawn. I have a slab foundation house with this weather water is up to the edge of the slab could you please talk about controlling flooding water and effects on the slab thanks <clears throat> well this is something we're all being affected by right now i mean it, granted today is a gorgeous day and you know we're not having rain and flooding and all that stuff but every single week it's been raining the soils are saturated water is sitting on the surfaces and running off you know at a later time our, our concrete foundations are being saturated. I'm getting more and more calls about moisture coming up through the concrete. What is it you can do to help it out? You've got to keep the water flowing away from the foundation. If you let the water sit next to the foundation, it's going to soak up through the foundation. And you're going to think the, that you're flooding when in actuality, it's just water soaking through the, the concrete. Concrete is porous, and it, it will wick water up. And it, if you've got wood floors, it'll make them start cupping. If you've got carpet, the tack strip around the outer edge, when you lift the carpet up, will look like it's been wet. Uh, I mean, it really can create a lot of issues. So the more the foundation showing under your brick or siding, the better off you are. We should have about three, four inches showing all the time. And what that does is it keeps the water below the bottom of the foundation then. And by that I mean your foundation has a perimeter concrete beam around it. Then the part that you walk on inside the home is typically only four inches thick. So if you've got four inches of concrete showing around the outside, three, four inches, you're now below that. So you're not getting the static pressure coming up and pushing moisture through the concrete. And I know we all think concrete's so dense, water's not going through it. Hoover Dam has leaks in it. Moisture travels through concrete because it's porous. So just keep that in mind and... and uh, you, you'll be fine when and the other thing though to to manage the water you've got to have the water drain off 
Now, I know in the Houston area, it's flat. You don't have a lot of area to drain water to. In some cases, you have to use catch basins and pump it out. But you just, the thing to keep in mind is you don't want water standing next to the foundation for a prolonged period of time. If it's there, you know, while it's raining, that's one thing. As long as it's gone within a couple hours after the rain stops, you're typically good. This came in from Helen in Athens, painting over wallpaper. Her question is, can you paint over wallpaper instead of stripping off the wallpaper? Thank you. Well, actually, in many cases you can. Now, it's going to depend on what type of wallpaper you have. If it's a paper wallpaper, you can paint over it. Here's the steps, though, that you got to go through in order to do that. First thing you want to do is take and use uh, sheetrock mud where the, where the wallpaper seams are and just skim coat it right along that seam to cover up the joint. Then you'll put a primer sealer paint on it. And any place where the wallpaper bubbles up a little bit, again, you want to pull the loose paper off, fill it with sheetrock mud, prime that little area that you did, and now you're ready to paint it or texture it and paint it. The whole key thing here is to primer it first, take care of any loose spots, then you can go ahead and paint it. And yes, you can paint paper. If it's vinyl, if it is the silver, you know, foil type wallpapers that were so popular back in the 70s, then no, you cannot. Those have to be stripped off and redone. So as long as you follow that, you'll be just fine. Chris, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Hey there. Um, my question has to do with insulating uh, the, the attic above the garage. So yeah. we've got a fairly new home. We have blown in insulation, but they didn't insulate over the garage. Uh, I've, I've insulated our garage doors because we get the southern exposure. So what are the pros and cons of, of insulating above your garage? Are you going to heat and cool the garage? No, but I'd rather it be a, a better temperature in both summer and winter. It won't be. Unless you're going to heat and cool, the insulation will do absolutely nothing for you. Uh, in fact, it'll actually make it worse because in the summer months when that insulation heats up during the day, it'll hold the insulation all night as it's releasing it into the garage, extending the hot period. The thing you got to remember, insulation, the R factor, is basically a resistance to the heat. It's how long it takes the heat to travel through it. So if you want to make the temperature better in the garage, put a radiant barrier in the attic on uh, above the garage, and that will typically lower the temperature in the summer months by anywhere from 10 to 15 degrees. And that costs you far less and do a much better job for you. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. We are renovating a Dallas Pier and Beam home originally built in the 1950s. The house needed foundation work, which has been completed. Several of the piers they dug were in areas where water drains, and we now have standing water under sections of the house. We are also installing new siding and roofing, so the gutters have been removed, which is adding to the problem. Some of this will be addressed 
when we install gutters and drain the water away from the foundation. However, I got under the house and there's considerable moisture. It is actually damp and muddy. Should I dry out the soil under the house? If so, what is the best way to do this? And how do I keep it dry in the future? Once this is done, I plan on installing plastic sheathing over the soil, but I don't want to add to the problem and create mold from too much ground moisture that is covered with plastic. Well, here's the issue. We're having tons of rain. I know it's been gorgeous for the last several days, but we've been having tons of rain. So underneath a lot of crawl space homes, there is moisture in the soils. The best way to dry it out is make sure you keep your vents around the foundation open at all times and they have power fans that you can put in to move air across, which helps tremendously to dry the soil out. On top of that, if you have low areas that hold water, you may have to put in some drainage. I normally like to drain it to outside the underneath of the home uh, with a pipe. And depending on if I can daylight that pipe, I may have to put a sump pump in order to capture the water and pump it out. But you definitely don't need standing water under a crawl space home. Uh, as far as putting the plastic down, that will help a lot to keep that odor of soil from coming up into the home. So that actually is a, a pretty good idea. If you need somebody to come out and take a look at it to see what can be done, Do West Foundation Repair is always available to take care of issues like that. So this one comes from Richard in Conroe. And it's a real simple question. What brand or brands kitchen faucets would you recommend? Well, I know there's a lot of them out there. I've used Moen. I've used uh, uh, Feist Fisher, whatever the, the brand is. To be honest with you, my favorite is Delta. Delta just seems to hold up, and you need to go to the supply house to get it. Don't go pick it up at your local box store. There is a difference in the faucets that you get when you go to Moore Plumbing Supply, Morrison Plumbing Supply, uh, Ferguson's Plumbing Supply, one of those places versus going into the box stores. When you go in the box stores, they've had to dumb the products down in order to meet the price point that the box stores want to sell to us. And I guess the box stores think we're all stupid that, you know, uh, Hey, it looks the same, same brand. Why not buy this one instead of going and getting the good stuff? Well, here's the big difference on faucets. When you go to a regular plumbing supply store, you're getting a brass faucet. All the parts inside are brass and not plastic. When you go to your local box store, you're typically getting plastic parts inside. Pick the two faucets up and you're going to see a huge difference in the weight of them and the longevity that they're going to last. And the nice thing about using a Delta that's all brass that way, you're talking about changing out O-rings and washers when the faucet starts dripping or something. And it will eventually. They all do. But it's repairable. When you go with all that plastic stuff, you're a lot of times looking at just throwing it away and buying new. So there's my two cents on faucets for you. This comes from uh, Lori. And Lori, I have a and beam house that smells musty when the AC comes on. Also have had to clean some mold looking spots off baseboards. What am I looking at 
where do I start or who do I call? Thanks, Lori. Well, Lori, uh, you know, you're outside the area of where I have AC companies to recommend. However, that is what you need as an air conditioning company because this can be one of two things. Because you mentioned that damp, crawl space, musty smell in-house under your subject line. And regardless of whether that's what's causing the issue or it's an issue in the coils of the air conditioner, you need an AC person. Here's why. If it's in the coils, they need to be cleaned and the airflow needs to be checked to make sure you're getting proper airflow across the coils so that you don't build up this moisture again that starts to mold and mildew. However, if it's odor coming from under the home, it's still an AC problem. And the reason I say that, you're drawing air in the home from under the home if that's the issue. And I'm wondering if that's not the case because you're seeing it on the baseboards. And so when an AC system is installed, the whole purpose, you know, the, the, the way you want to have it installed is to where the house pressures up. And if there's a leak, it's blowing air out. And your vent in the bathroom, your vent for the stovetop, when the AC system is running, it should be blowing air out through there instead of sucking air in through there. Well, if those things are closed up, and you're sucking air from underneath the home, you can get that moldy smell as well and along those baseboards. So I'm kind of thinking that may be the issue. It shouldn't take a whole lot to fix this problem, but the sooner you get your AC guy out and get him working on it, the better off you're going to be. I will tell you up front, not all AC guys can handle this type of problem. Now, if it's just in the coils, yeah, most of them can handle that. But when you start getting into pressurizing the house and negative pressures and all this kind of stuff, uh, that becomes a total different ball game, and it really does take somebody who knows what they're doing. I'm putting a vinyl plank floor in a house built in 1976. I was wanting information about moisture mitigation. What is a good product that I can use on the floor to seal it? You don't seal a vinyl plank floor. You seal under it in, at times. And as far as what product to use when you're sealing under a vinyl plank floor, you need to look at the manufacturer's recommendations of your floor because different manufacturers have different recommendations. And if you don't follow their recommendations, they don't have to honor the warranty that they offer on those floors. I will tell you, if you're putting any type of glue-down floor, whether it's a vinyl plank, a wood floor, uh, any thing that's going to be using a mastic to glue it down, you really ought to do a moisture check of the concrete prior to installing the floor. If it's a wood floor, that's, yeah, that's usually not an issue. I, I, I'm saying if you're a going down on top of wood, like a pier and beam or a block and base home or a house on a second floor. What we're really talking about here right now is concrete slabs. And to do a simple moisture test yourself without having to go out and buy a bunch of stuff, peel back, get down to the concrete. Cut a one-foot square piece of plastic and duct tape it. Or use the blue tape. I don't care. Tape it to the concrete. Leave it for 24 hours. If it has moisture coming up onto that plastic, your floor needs to be sealed prior to putting any type of floor down. And again, you want to use the manufacturer's recommendations. Now, I personally don't like 
glue down wood floors on concrete that way, especially if you just did this test and you got moisture coming up, it's problematic. It can make the glue soft where they don't adhere well. It can start uh, making the floors cup and warp and things like that. So anytime you're having a floor installed, if your installer doesn't do this test, make sure you do prior to putting it in. You don't want to have to argue with somebody later to get the floor made right. So let's start by doing it right from the beginning. Uh, go over to Floor and Decor. And they can help you out with manufacturer's recommendations on the different flooring. Uh, and, you know, they have all the stuff that you need there to put the floors in. And, hey, if you haven't picked a floor yet, they can help you out with that as well. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.